Hey everyone, Myths and Legends was nominated for a Webby this year. We're so excited. Part of that means we're eligible for the People's Voice Award, which means we need your vote. If you'd like to help us out, please consider voting for Myths and Legends and sharing it with friends. We're currently tied for first, so we could really use your vote. Go to vote.mythpodcast.com. Thanks so much. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the start of the story of Sunjata, an epic story from West Africa, where you'll see that if you're hunting a monster, it's actually a good idea to sit down and have a conversation with that monster that's plaguing your kingdom. You might just convince it to let you kill it. On the Creature of the Week, you'll see how to tell if your date is actually an evil vampire. The giant bronze leg they're dragging around everywhere is a pretty solid giveaway. This is Myths and Legends, episode 106A, Long Live the King. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Turning your dream, your passion, into reality is something many of us think about every day. I know I do, but that dream doesn't have to stay on the shelf. And Squarespace is here to make it easy. Showcase your work, that blog, publish content, or even sell products and services, all with just a few clicks. Remember, a dream is just an awesome idea without a website. So get started with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you can use the offer code MYTHS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Today's story is that of Sunjata, the founder of the Mali Empire. Unlike a lot of the stories on this podcast, this is linked directly to a real ruler who ruled Mali in the 13th century. The empire of Mali stretched far beyond the modern-day borders of the West African country. In this instance, legend is interwoven with history, and I don't want to give too much of the story away, so we'll talk about it at the end of the series. We start not in the Mali Empire, but in Old Mali, the small kingdom that would grow into an empire, and King Magan Kanfada sitting on his mat. It was hot on the savannah. As the king relaxed on his mat, his people would come and pay their respects to their king, asking him to rule on different things, and listen to the wisdom of his storytellers, the griots. In them lived all the history of their people. They were historians, poets, singers, and musicians, and their minds preserved the past and captured the future. And it's from them that the story of Sunjata unfolds. Sunjata's soon-to-be father, King Megan Kanfada, eyed the hunter approaching. The man had a bow polished from frequent use and dipped low before the king as he neared the ruler. He announced that he'd been hunting for weeks and he had tracked a doe to just outside the city gates where he shot her. As it was only right, he delivered the king his portion with honor. The king smiled as the man presented a leg of meat from his bag. He patted the mat by his side. The hunter could have simply taken the whole portion and left but he'd honored the king instead. And so, the king would honor him in return. The hunter took his seat, and one of the griots turned to him. As a traveler, he must have stories from faraway lands. No, not really, the hunter replied with a sigh, looking out across the savannah. Just, just a flat no, that's it? The griot asked. The hunter shrugged. He had always been better at crafting a bow than a story. 
Oh, so nothing to move the plot along then? The Grail inquired. Well, I don't know if it matters, but I'm actually a really good seer. Probably the best, actually, as in I can see the future. Does that count for something? Grio stared in disbelief. Yes. Yes, it did. Would the hunter mind telling the king his future? Sure, the hunter figured. Whatever. As he pulled out some of his shells from his bag, he warned the stirring crowd that while he saw the future, and while what he saw would actually come to pass, he couldn't give timelines, so don't even ask. <sighs> All right, here we go. Oh, oh, there it is. Two strangers. They're coming to your city. The king looked quickly to the road. Nope, nothing. That must be one of the things that was going to happen. The hunter closed his eyes as the shells jumbled in his rough hands. Mali was about to emerge from the night. The capital city was lighting up. And the light was coming from the east. His eyes opened and he turned directly to the king. Too long had the king nursed no other ambition than to pass on his realm intact to his children. But the true king, his successor, was not yet born. The king pursed his lips. Okay, no. He had an eight-year-old son that he was grooming for the throne. But before the king could raise that objection, the seer continued. Two hunters were coming from afar. A young woman accompanied them. She would be the mother of this great king. The king, Magan Kanfata, grinned. All right, this was good news. He had one wife, but his society did not limit him from taking another. He asked the seer how beautiful she was, on a scale from, you know, really beautiful to extremely beautiful. The seer closed his eyes again. Hmm. Yes. She's horrifically ugly. What? spat the king. Yeah, just completely hideous. She has a giant humpback and her eyes seem to have been, like, hastily glued onto her face without any eyelids or anything. Hmm. Anyway, this is the woman you must marry. Because her child will make Mali immortal. He'll be the seventh conqueror of the earth, even greater than Alexander. This year took a deep breath, opened his eyes, and dropped his shells back into his bag as he stood. Well, that was it for him. That was all he had. And he just left the rest of that dough sitting out in the sun. And since that was his meal for the foreseeable future, he should really get back to it. The king also stood. What should he do? The seer threw up his hands. He guessed the king should wait for the really ugly woman with a hunchback to stop by a city and then marry her. Really don't worry about it. He was going to do it. That's how prophecies worked. Now he could just like play a fun guessing game. The hunter said goodbye to the king and his attendants and went to salvage what meat he could from the dough. We don't know how much time passed between the hunter's visit and the visit of two more hunters. They arrived before the king and Megan Confada could see that they had a third traveling companion, a woman wrapped almost completely in her cloak. The king didn't think much of it. He entertained a lot of visitors on his mat outside the city. But then he noticed the woman's hump protruding from her cloak. The hunters didn't mention the stranger, but launched right into a story. They came from the land of Doe, where they had chanced upon a hunter bleeding out on the ground. He told them that for months, a buffalo had been ravaging the countryside, Every day, another one of their countrymen died, and the king of Doe offered the very finest reward for killing this buffalo. Ladies. The king will command all the eligible women in the kingdom to come together, and the champion will be allowed to point out the one he wanted. 
and that woman would have to become his wife. The hunters shrugged. They weren't really looking, but they did just have a successful harvest. So they had some time on their hands. And glory sounded good, so they took off after the buffalo. For days they searched, and they were just hours behind the buffalo, finding only blood and destruction left in the beast's wake. One morning, as they were walking and searching, they found an old woman sitting by a river, weeping. She told the hunters that she was hungry. So hungry. No one had helped her, and she begged them for anything to eat. The hunters scrambled into their packs and pulled out what food they had. They were happy to help her. When she had eaten her fill, the stranger sighed contentedly and smiled at the young men, saying that she knew what their quest was. They were hunting the buffalo of doe. They should know how dangerous it was. Arrows were useless against the thing, and many people had died in their foolishness. She should know. She was the buffalo. The two hunters looked at each other quizzically. Oh, no, 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 guys, guys. I'm a magical buffalo. Sometimes, I'm, right now I'm a woman, but sometimes I turn into a buffalo and kill people. But you vanquished me. Not with arrows, but with kindness. I've killed 107 hunters. I did it to punish my brother, the king, who disinherited me and cast me out. Now, with the king at his wit's end, my job's complete. Basically, with my brother sufficiently angry, I can die in peace. She handed one of the hunters a distaff, telling him that tomorrow on the plains, when he saw the buffalo, to first point the distaff at her three times, and then she would be vulnerable to his arrows. She didn't have a ton of control in that form, so she would of course pursue him and try to kill him. When that happened, all he needed to do was throw this egg between them, and it would all be over. There was one condition. When the king promised him the hand of the most beautiful woman in Doe, the hunter must search the crowd for a very ugly maiden, uglier than he could imagine, sitting alone on an observation platform. Her name was Sogolon. She was this old woman's wraith, or her double. She would be an extraordinary woman for anyone who managed to possess her. For the hunter to have the glory of the buffalo, he had to make that promise. The hunter promised and left for the plain of Orantamba. The next morning, hunters were already fleeing from the plain as the two hunters approached. One aimed the distaff three times and fired an arrow. When the buffalo saw them and charged, he tossed the egg the buffalo woman had given him the day before, and when it broke on the ground, a mire consumed the dirt. The buffalo was trapped. Carefully, the hunter waded out into the muck, and right before he cut the beast's throat, he saw a calm look in its eyes. They were the eyes of the old woman. When it was done, he cut her solid gold tail off as proof that he had killed the buffalo made his way to the town of Doe, the capital of the land of Doe. Later that night, crowds dragged the buffalo into the city and mutilated the carcass in the city square. You know, a fun Saturday night. And the next day, the king sang praises of the hunter who took down the beast, promising him the hand of the most beautiful maiden in Doe. He called an assembly, and all the single ladies of marriageable age took their place in the square. He entertained the thought of marrying the most beautiful woman he could pick, but he didn't actually consider it going against the last wishes of a woman who could turn into rampaging buffaloes, no matter how dead they seemed, was a terrible idea. It took him a while to search out Sogolon, but he finally found her, off alone, on an observation platform. She had felt that, even though it was mandatory for her to be there, 
no one would really mind if she wasn't in the thick of it. She was very surprised when the hunter took her hand and led her to the king. The king looked at the hunter, then to Soglan, then back to the hunter in disbelief, and broke out laughing. He could not keep it together. The kingdom followed suit, and the hunters, who had so recently saved the people, were laughed out of dough, Soglan in tow. I'm not sure exactly why, but they made their way to Mali, in King Makan's kingdom. My guess is that the hunter didn't want to marry, and a supernatural woman gifted to him by a princess sorceress seemed like a pretty solid bargaining chip to curry favor with the next king. As we know, he made the right choice. Given the prophecy that the woman who looked exactly like that one would be along with the two hunters, the king enthusiastically took Sogolon to be a second wife, and the hunters, probably pretty surprised that the king actually believed their story, were rewarded. The king was to be married in a simple, short, extremely expensive and extravagant ceremony on the first Wednesday of the new moon. Soglon could hear the drums beating outside as she wept. The woman plaited her hair in anticipation of the ceremony. They knew what she was going through. This was the day that her life changed. They had all been through the same things. None of them had been able to choose. They had all been chosen, just like Sogolon. It would get better, they told her. It was a new life, a different life, but beautiful in its own way. And as soon as she saw her children there would be nothing quite like it. It would all be worth it. People came from all over the 12 tribes of Old Mali to honor the king and his new wife, and the festivities reached a fever pitch. The ceremony took place, and the attendees continued to celebrate until the sun hid herself behind the mountains, and the time came for the king and his new wife to leave. She will be an extraordinary woman if you manage to possess her. Those were the words of the old woman of Doe. That turned out to be true. And for their first night together, Sogolon was having precisely none of it. When the sun rose the next morning, the king was exhausted from Sogolon constantly repulsing his advances. And they still hadn't consummated the marriage. Every time he tried to draw close to her, her body became covered with long hairs that, quote, scared him very much. The old women who came to seek the virginity pagna were discreetly turned away, and the king and Sogolon's struggles continued for a week straight. The king sought the advice of sorcerers and everything, but no one could help him. And so, it would seem, he resigned himself to leaving the marriage unconsummated. Or so Sogolon thought. She awoke that night with a knife to her throat, the king standing over her, saying that he had been given protection by his kingly ancestors, and for it, they demanded a sacrifice. He wondered if she could guess who that sacrifice might be. Whatever supernatural power was causing her body to break out in long hair and turn ferocious, fled in terror, and Soglon passed out. And yeah, this next part is horrifying. The king saw that she was still in her human form, and just passed out. So he consummated the marriage anyway. That night, Sogolon conceived a child. It was about six months later 
when everything had returned to normal, everyone in the king's great enclosure had grown accustomed to Sogolon's ugliness. The story makes a point of pointing this out, and they congratulated her when she began showing she was with child. Everyone, that is, except for Sasuma. Sasuma was the king's first wife, and her son being just eight years old, she became worried that her child would be disinherited. She began to loathe Sogolon, strutting around the enclosure, flaunting her pregnancy. In the end, she didn't harm Sogolon, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Like, a lot of trying. Quietly, she hired sorcerers from all over Mali to come to the capital to assassinate the woman. But, for some reason, they couldn't get close. There was something that was charmed about Sogolon. This was confirmed when three owls perched themselves on her doorway every night in the final stages of her pregnancy. It was a sign of divine protection. Sogolon's baby would be born. When that time came, the king commanded the nine greatest midwives in all of Mali to come and attend his wife, which seems like kind of a crowded room, but oh well. And so the labor began. One person was pushing a child out of her own body. The other was anxiously hoping that it would be a boy. So, of course, the story focuses on how difficult it was for the king during the birth. He sat, stressed, while people played music for him. But all that stopped short as the sky darkened. Even though it was the dry season, all the attendants walked to the doorway, watching the lightning rend the clouds of the storm. Another flash lit up the sky, and rain poured for an instant, and then stopped. The skies cleared almost as quickly as they darkened, and as soon as the sun appeared, one of the midwives rushed into the room before the king. Beaming, she announced that it was a boy. The king stood there, overcome with emotion. His right-hand man smiled and gave the signal. Drumbeats boomed as news spread throughout the city that the king had had a boy. Already, the Griots had composed a song about the royal infant, the Lion Child, as he was called. His name was given on the eighth day after his birth, in the midst of a great feast. People were gathered outside, sacrificing oxen in honor of the baby. And inside, Sogolon was stretched out on cushions, recovering while the king's aunts gave her baby his first haircut. They could hear the king outside, declaring that the child would be called Magan after his father, and that he would have the name Marijata, a name which no prince in his line had ever had before. Sogolon's son would be the first of his name. see that Jatta, the lion child, won't have the kind of childhood that you'd think of for an epic king, but that will be right after this. Alright, now back to the show. Sogolon wrung her hands as she looked on her son. Every day when she awoke, it was the first thing on her mind. Was there something wrong? Her son, who had been the king's pride, wasn't walking. He was just crawling. At one, this was normal. At two, it gave her pause. And at three, she began to worry. And, of course, there was the gossip. 
What three-year-old didn't walk? What son of a king could hardly say any words? So Galan tried to put it out of her mind. She had dealt with that sort of talk her whole life. And though it broke her heart that her son would have to endure it too, she would help him. She would make him strong. But her son never seemed to do anything other than sit in the middle of the house all day. Whenever Sogolon brought children his age for him to play with, he would attack them relentlessly until they left, swinging his strong arms and bludgeoning them with his massive head. Even though the name given to him by the king was Marijata, the people began to call him Sogolonjata, affixing his mother's name to his, letting the world know that she was responsible for the boy being how he was. There was one person, however, who was happy about Jata's delay. Sasuma. Her son was now 11, and the king had resumed grooming him for the throne. He was even beginning his initiations. Sasuma and her boy would play around Sogolon's house, where she and Jata could hear. And Sasuma would loudly praise her son for running and jumping and playing. She would say she hadn't been promised anything by God. But she definitely preferred a child who could walk on his own two legs to a lion who crawled on the ground. In time, the king and Sogolon began drifting apart as the child missed milestone after expected milestone. Eventually, the king hardly talked to his newest wife at all. Still, the griot that had sat by the king, that had seen the thunder when Jata was born, encouraged him to remain strong, to trust in the word of God. And for a time, the king did. And he and Sogolon grew closer, close enough for her to conceive again. When the second baby was born, he saw that it was a daughter, and she looked exactly like Sogolon. He thought again about Jata. He could see that this girl, who Sogolon named Kolon Khan, would be the exact same. So, the next day, the king's men came to Sogolon's house and pulled her and the babies outside. In the blink of an eye, Sogolon found herself outside the kingdom's tall, protective walls, with young Kokolon shoved in her arms and Jata crawling in the dirt alongside her. That afternoon, they disappeared. The king went on to remarry. Well, I guess it's not remarrying if you're taking a third concurrent wife, but that's what he did. The woman, named Nemanje, was the daughter of one of his allies, and her beauty was legendary. Together, they conceived a son, and like Sogolon's son, this one had a prophecy concerning his future. He would be the right-hand man to a magnificent king, even though his griots told him that it wasn't the case, the king chose to believe that Nemanje was the mother of prophecy and that his son with her would rise to be the great king and that Jata was nothing, as Susuma constantly reminded him. Still, the king kept finding himself in strange conversations. For instance, his blacksmith, a blind man who also moonlighted as a seer, spoke ominously about a seed. When the seed germinates, he shared, Growth isn't always easy. Great trees grow slowly, but they plunge their roots deep into the ground. The king narrowed his eyes. Wait a second. Has the seed already been germinated? Uh, the blacksmith's mouth fell open. Yeah, only the growth is not as quick as you would like. How impatient man is. The king nodded slowly, started to leave, and turned back. Wait. Just to be clear, we're talking about Jata, right? The lion baby? The blacksmith seer sighed. Yes. Go. It was just a few weeks later when Sogolon was found living in a small hut with her two children. Would she come back to the city? She agreed 
and was reconciled to her husband. Nearly a year later, another daughter was born to them. By now, Susumu was enraged. The king now had more children with this Sogolon than any of his other wives. Even after the child of prophecy turned out to be a dud, he kept going back to her. Time wore on, and so did the king. Furthermore, to Susumu's rage, Jata hadn't changed at all. The boy, now pushing six, still had not begun to walk. Sasuma couldn't understand it. Her son was faster, stronger, more capable than Jata, but the king couldn't see that. His love and some prophecy from a hunter years ago had blinded him. Then, everything Sasuma feared became real. In a proclamation from the king, Mari Jata, Soglan's son, was to be his heir. The king called his son into a room with he and his griot, the one who had been by his side since he was a young prince and the guy who had constantly reminded him of the prophecy. The griot's son was also there, a young man by the name of Balafasike. Over the years, the king's family and the griot's family had worked in tandem. The king had ruled, and the griot had been his advisor, historian, and storyteller. He knew all their people's history and stories, and he helped the king be the best ruler he could. He had been grooming his son for the position as well, and the time had finally come for both young men to replace their fathers. Also, they were both seven years old, so they would need all the help they could get. Unfortunately, they would not be getting said help. King Magan Kanfata was right about this. He didn't have long. Weeks later, he was dead, and his seven-year-old son stood alone. Jata, the crown prince, sat in the castle and seethed. By the queen mother's orders, anyone could come into the castle, but they could only enter one room, that of Sogolon and Jata. Everyone great or small, rich or poor, could come and laugh at the seven-year-old prince who couldn't walk. Jata had sat at the council of elders as the king's late griot shouted at the men and women, saying that they couldn't do this. It was the late king's final wishes that Jata take his place. Griot didn't know that, in addition to their prejudice against the boy's perceived weaknesses, Sosma's work had begun the moment the king announced that Jata was heir to the throne. With the king's wealth, she had quietly promised a lot to the members of the council, earning it back with interest when, unanimously, they ignored the dead king's proclamation and named Dankaran, Sosma's son, king of Mali. Of course, he was too young to rule, so power came to rest on Sasma herself. Soon after, the Griot followed his king into death, and Jata's last advocate on the Council of Elders was gone. Jata watched his mom weep for him, for the lives they led, and the cruelty they experienced. It was one sentence from Sasma, though, that finally crushed her. It wasn't exactly subtle either. Sogolon had come to the Queen Mother to see if she had some baobab leaf. I guess... Even though Sasma had turned her home into a circus, she and Sogolon were still on borrowing a cup of sugar terms. Anyway, the queen mother bragged that she had so much baobab leaf. Like, way too much. See, her son could walk at seven. You know what? Her son could always get her more leaves. So Sogolon could just take them all, since her son was so inferior to Sasma's. Later, Jata found his mother weeping and learned the whole story. He sat fuming. He knew that this was all his fault. Not just his mother's tears, 
but being passed over for the throne, for all of them living in shame. If only he had been stronger. No more. Determined, Jata dragged himself over to his mother. He told her he would walk that day. His mother stopped crying long enough to laugh. He was nearly eight. Kids just didn't decide to walk. He agreed with her. Normal children didn't. He did. Jata asked her to send someone to find his father's old blacksmith. He was going to walk. Jata's sister walked among the smiths to the one she knew was her late father's. There were 100 smiths there, so it took a little while to find him, but he was sitting there and seemed to be looking at her. Even though he was blind, he smiled and greeted her. So, the great day has arrived then. Jata had asked for the heaviest iron bar that the blind smith could make. He might have already known that the smith had started making the bar the day Jata was born, because it was already prepared. It took six men to carry it to Jata, and as they walked, a crowd joined them. Word reached Balafasike, the son of the late King's Grio, and the one who had been assigned to Jata. He had the chance to leave Jata when Jata's stepbrother stole the throne, but he had refused. He knew who his king was. Grunting, the six men hefted the iron bar onto the ground outside of Jata and Sogolon's house. Jata's Grio, Balafasike, stood by the bar and smiled. The time had come. Arise, young lion, the Greo said, and roar. And may the bush know that from henceforth, it has a master. Jata dragged himself to the bar that was so heavy it took six men to drag it from the smith, grabbed it with one hand, and set it vertical on the ground. The crowd gasped and took a step backward. Jata breathed deeply, put both arms in the iron rod, and began to rise. Jata was sweating, grunting, and straining, but the young lion found his feet. When, at last, he stood, he was taller than the crowd around him, and everyone stood in awe, not just because Jata was finally standing, but because the iron bar had twisted underneath the eight-year-old's strength. Sogolon sang and praised her son, and Jata's griot spoke to the crowd. As Jata took his first steps, and the iron thudded, once again, to the ground. The young lion walked. Jata looked at the tree behind him. It was a baobab tree. His mother had needed leaves, and that's what led to her debasing herself before Sasuma. Jata looked at the tree and grinned. He grabbed the entire tree by the trunk and uprooted it before the crowd, turning it on its side and letting his mother pluck the leaves from the top of the tree. It was later on that day that Sasuma opened the door to a muffled yelling. Thoughtlessly, she walked through it and walked face first into a wall that wasn't there that morning. It was only after her servants cleared out basket upon basket of baobab leaves that she learned what had happened that day. Jata had walked and Mali trembled beneath his footsteps. Already, everyone was calling him the rightful king. Sasuma could see her power already beginning to slip away. Petty insults and slights had only made them stronger she would finally have to do something about Sogolon and Jatta. Next week, 
we'll see the young lion rise and become more of a threat to Sasma and King Dankaran. We'll also meet a deadly wizard, the untouchable sorcerer king who has plans of his own for Mali. In lieu of other stuff, if you haven't voted for us yet for the Webbies, please take like two minutes and go vote. It would be a massive help for us. I made an easy link that will redirect you to the voting page at vote.mythpodcast.com. I also put a link in the show notes. Thank you so much. The creature this week is the Empuse from Greek folklore. If you're out in the town and meet a beautiful woman and you hit it off, you're going to want to make sure of some stuff before things go any farther. For instance, does she have mule legs shod with bronze shoes? Has she casually dropping conversation that she's one of the red-haired daughters of the witch goddess Hecate? Is her favorite breakfast the flesh of someone she recently vampirically drained the life out of? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, you're going to want to just call it a night right there. Because if you don't, you are going to be breakfast in the morning. The Empuse are Greek vampire succubi, meaning that they will seek out and seduce men in order to drain their life and eat them. They have profoundly good persuasive abilities. So, if you come to your senses for a moment and realize you're about to go home with a mythological creature with mule legs, run. And I'm not joking. Running is one of the main ways to get away from them because they are described as, quote, comically slow. That could be because, in some depictions, she does not have two mule legs, but just one leg that's a donkey leg and another leg that's completely inflexible bronze that she just drags along. If you've already gone home together and there's no clear escape, there's another way. Insults. The Impuse has very thin skin and can't handle even the most innocuous of criticisms or profanity, and she'll shriek in pain and run away as quickly as she can. Just be sure she's a mythological creature that's trying to kill you. Otherwise, you're a massive jerk. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.